The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Mark. Then they came to Capernaum, and on the Sabbath Jesus entered the synagogue and taught. The people were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. In their synagogue was a man with an unclean spirit. He cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Jesus rebuked him and said, Quiet, come out of him. The unclean spirit convulsed him and with a loud cry came out of him. All were amazed and asked one another, What is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits and they obey him. His fame spread everywhere throughout the whole region of Galilee. The Gospel of the Lord. In today's Gospel, the people are astonished at the teaching of our Lord. And as Mark tries to describe, it's because they see something different in the way that he preaches, that he preaches with authority, not as the scribes. And that's one of the reasons why the first reading uh, is so eloquent today, because it kind of makes reference to this in an indirect way. Moses, in the book of Deuteronomy, it's kind of his last will and testament. The people of Israel are going to cross into the promised land, but because of a past uh, disagreement and not fulfilling out the Lord's will exactly, Moses is not going to enter into the promised land. He's only allowed to see it from afar. So he has this great discourse to all the Israelites to get them ready for the years to come. And in part of this discourse, in the first reading today, as we just heard, he talks about another prophet who's going to be coming like him. Uh, at the start of the book of the, the start of the Gospel of John, people came down from Jerusalem and they asked John the Baptist, they asked him, are you the prophet? And he said, no, I'm not. Which could be a little confusing because he is considered the last prophet of the Old Testament, the one who had the grace of really being the forerunner of the Savior. But they were asking him the question about whether he was the one who was fulfilling this prophecy of Moses, the prophet that Moses promised was going to come, who was a little more than just the other prophets who came afterwards, and that's why he said no. Because the prophet who was going to come was going to be our Lord. It was going to be the Messiah. And you see later on in the Gospel of John that people start arguing about it when they're trying to figure out who Jesus of Nazareth is. So in the first reading today, Moses promises them a prophet And the way he explains it, it's something uh, in answer to their wishes, because there was a moment at Mount Horeb where they got sick of Moses being their spokesperson, and they said, why are you the only one who talks to our Lord? We want to talk to him ourselves. And the Lord said, all right, get him ready. And he came down with all the fire and thunder on the mountain, and they were so terrified by the experience, basically, I'm paraphrasing, they're like, oh, no, no, that's okay, that's okay, we don't need to talk to you directly, Lord, you can, yeah, you can go through Moses or whatever. So Moses is reminding them that, remember what happened the last time you tried to have an experience of the Lord face to face, and that reminds us of the Old Testament experience of the Lord. If our Lord had simply become flesh and revealed himself right away to see God, probably about half the people who heard it would have dropped out of a heart attack out of fear. Because in the Old Testament, they were taught, he who looks upon the face of God will die. There's even a moment where Moses is allowed to see the Lord, and the Lord says to him, I'll let you sort of see my back as I'm passing by, but if you look upon my face, you will surely die. And that actually makes allusion to the fact that since the fall, we can't see our Lord face to face anymore due to original sin. If we looked upon him in all his holiness and all his terror and his justice, 
we would be rightly condemned, and perhaps the very thought of it would just make us fall dead right at his feet. So, our Lord does come, and little do they know that this prophet who Moses promised would come would be our Lord in person. But our Lord in person coming in a way that, forgive the expression because it's kind of a poor expression that they can relate to. Our Lord saw the moment where he could come and reveal himself to us and give us that opportunity through the mystery of his humanity to reconcile ourselves with God again. So why are they so astonished at his teaching, at this authority? If there's a way to describe it, we can kind of describe it as they perceive that he's telling it like it is. Every one of us has had an experience of a preacher who seems like he really tells it like it is, or that person really tells it like it is. And it really seems that they're putting out the truth, they're not concerned about the consequences or couching phrases or things like that. Sometimes they're a little blunt. Sometimes it's candor, sometimes it's bluntness. It should always be with charity in the case of us, obviously. But people say, yeah, he's telling it like it is. Well, in a certain sense, that's part of what is striking them about our Lord preaching in the synagogue today. Because they say, specifically, and not as the scribes. Because the last part of that first reading today, Moses was talking about the fact that if a prophet says something that the Lord didn't put into his mouth, that prophet will surely die. So, between the last prophet of the Old Testament and the coming of our Lord, a few hundred years at least passed. There were no more prophets. The people of Israel were just doing what they were doing. They were waiting for the Messiah to come. But no prophet was coming to tell them anything. So what do you do in the meanwhile? What do your learned people do in the meanwhile? Where the scribes tried to interpret the scriptures and the oral traditions of the people of Israel as best as they could. But they themselves realized they weren't receiving these direct messages from God. They weren't spokespeople like a prophet was. And so it's understandable that when they did try to teach about how to put the law into practice and the sacred scriptures and things, they were very cautious about what they said because they believed, and in some cases legitimately, that it would result in at least their spiritual death if they said something wrong. So you can imagine that moment in the synagogue when a scribe would come up and talk about scripture or the tradition of the people of Israel. He'd always be a little cautious in what he said. Okay? It's kind of the same thing in the work of a theologian. If a theologian ever gets to the point where he's saying something, he claims it's magisterium when it's not revealed, that theologian is in big trouble, and that's why the church reacts. It's something very similar to that. The scribes had to be very careful in what they said. They could stay at the level of interpretations and things, but they realized there was a certain authority that they didn't have. All of a sudden, our Lord comes onto the scene, and in a couple of gospel passages, they describe him as this young rabbi. And out of nowhere, he's telling it like it is. He's telling it with that confidence. He's telling it, and they perceive that authority in him, that he doesn't have that fear that the Lord is not speaking through him. And we know the secret. It's because it's the Lord himself. But at that moment, they're still coming little by little into his mystery, the disciples, and then little by little, the other people of Israel, and so on. And some people never understood that, and they never believed in it. But he doesn't just do that, because we see in the gospel today that not only does he speak with a certain boldness and a certain confidence that shows that he has a certain authority in these things and and that strikes a chord in people's hearts, but then he backs it up with the sign of casting out the unclean spirit. And he simply says with with a few words, quiet, come out of him. Now, all the other gospel passages that we've seen, the scripture passages that we've seen about possessions, possessions are very difficult. They take time, they take a lot of prayer and things. So imagine the impact that it had on these people watching where our Lord, with a few words, just cast this unclean spirit out. 
But I want to draw attention to your fact that the unclean spirit didn't say, wow, you're a very eloquent person. You must have studied at Harvard or something. I think you've made very cogent arguments for me to leave this person. No. What do you start screaming? You're the Holy One of God. It was the holiness of our Lord that drove him out. And that comes back a little bit to that fear that the first Israelites had about seeing our Lord face to face. Because when you look at our Lord face to face in all his holiness, and you reflect on your own holiness or lack thereof, it makes you feel very small, almost insignificant. It's a very humbling experience. The Lord in the Old Testament at one point said that his servant Moses could attend to him and be the leader of the people of Israel because he was the humblest man on earth. Because he realized how small he was. And on more than one occasion, he told the Lord, look, why did you saddle me with these people? I'm not up to this. Our Lord, the message above all that he teaches us with his teaching and authority is he teaches us that message of the importance of holiness. And that brings us to the second reading today. The second reading today almost seems to come from another direction. It's like, what's going on here? Uh, Paul is talking about the responsibilities of those who are married, the responsibilities of those who are unmarried, because it's in the context of when people are asking about whether people should get married or not. It's a little bit in the context of, well, we think that the Lord is going to come right away, so what's the point of getting married? But St. Paul keeps it very simple. The important thing is focusing on what the Lord expects of you to do. And that's why when he talks about unmarried people, he says you should focus on serving the Lord because you don't have any other things that you need to worry about in this world. Uh, He makes reference when he talks about unmarried women and virgins It's very likely when he's talking about virgins, he's talking about uh, the first consecrated virgins, which is still a form of consecrated life in the church. There's still a rite of taking vows before a bishop and becoming a consecrated virgin. So obviously they would be focusing on serving the Lord, not serving their husband or serving their family, because like nuns and other religious, they're focusing full-time on serving the Lord in that sense. But our Lord talks about marriage as well, and he doesn't say that, it's wrong to be concerned about the things of the world and pleasing your spouse. Well, for people who are called to that, that's how they serve the Lord too. That's part of their service to the Lord, is fulfilling their responsibilities of life. Lumen Gentium teaches us the lay vocation is to go out and take the gospel into those areas where priests and consecrated souls normally don't work and don't go, into the realm of politics, into the family, into the school, into places of work. And so... Our Lord is just reminding us that everyone needs to simply seek holiness from where our Lord has planted them. Uh, There was a gentleman in my hometown who used to always say, bloom where you're planted. And it's really true. When it comes to our calling, when we understand what our Lord is calling us to do, and we all have the fundamental call of holiness, the only thing that changes is how we try to grow in that holiness. We simply need to focus on blooming where we're planted. Because otherwise, every once in a while... We're looking on the other side of the fence, and we're thinking that the grass is greener. Okay? Consecrated souls once in a while, oh, wouldn't the married life be beautiful? Priests once in a while, oh, wouldn't the married life be beautiful? But on the other side, once in a while as well. I've heard of at least one person who said at one point when she was frustrated with her kids, I should have been a nun. Right? (laughs) And she wasn't saying that. It was like, oh, I should have been a nun, but I discerned to do something different. I mean, it was just frustration. She was seeing, okay, at least nuns don't have to worry about all these kids, right? So our Lord says to really focus on what he calls us to do and to seek that holiness and to teach us how to do it. And that's why every one of us, when he teaches us without authority, he shows us the way to live, the path to happiness, which is the path to holiness, 
that will not only benefit us, but will benefit all those that we love. But as we also see with his authority to cast out these unspirits, he doesn't just teach us to do something and expect us to do it. He backs it up with his power as well. And that's another thing that struck the people in the gospel today. And sometimes we have to remind ourselves of the incredible power of the sacraments that he has established for us. Seven sacraments. And in every one of those, we have an encounter with him and his power for one or other spiritual need in our lives. We're about to receive the Eucharist for our spiritual nourishment, so we have strength for the journey. Reconciliation, when we've blown it again. Confirmation to strengthen us as we start to get uh, more mature in our living the Christian life, and all the other sacraments. Matrimony for those who are called to marriage, priesthood, holy orders for those who are called to priesthood, or holy orders for those that are called to the diaconate, etc. So, as we continue the celebration of the Eucharist, Let's thank our Lord for deciding to come and take charge of things in person. Let's thank him for coming into our lives and teaching us the best way for us to live, not only for ourselves, but for others. And let's also thank him for all of those means that he has put at our disposal in his holy church in order to help us to achieve that goal, which is not only our sanctification, but the sanctification of the whole world. We turn now to God our Father who secures justice for the oppressed and offer him our prayers. That the church will stand before the world without stain or blemish, holy and obedient to God's word, we pray to the Lord. For an end to terrorism in the world and for the healing of all hatred and division, we pray to the Lord. For all families that the Lord will bless and strengthen them to remain united in peace and love, we pray to the Lord that our parish community for whom this Mass is offered will grow in faith, hope, and charity. We pray to the Lord. For those who have no one to pray for them, we pray to the Lord. We pray for those who have died. Eternal rest grant unto them, O Lord. May they rest in peace. May their souls and the souls of all the faithful departed. Loving Father, in you we take refuge. Incline your ear to us and save us. Be our fortress, our stronghold, our rock of refuge, through Christ our Lord. Let us now join our prayers to those of the Blessed Mother as we sing.